Welcome, everyone, all of you out there, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined today, this beautiful Friday morning to afternoon, depending on your time zone, by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm pretty good, given the circumstances. Dave, I have, I sh- there's no way I would ever complain. So, you know, we were just talking before we got on here, too, that you are a person that always, whenever I ask you, how are things going? You're all fantastic. Incredible. I, you know, everything's great. So you're kind of that person, too. You're not necessarily you wouldn't call it uh, the positive thinking affects your life thing. But you you think it affects maybe your ability to deal with life if you're positive. Yeah, What's your yeah. theory? So, so I am I am a deep seated. Um, uh, I present. I'm looking I, forward to this word. No, no. I present. <laughs> I present pessimistic to people, but I'm actually okay. like internally like it's all like you know, I'm just gonna you know think my way through this thing you know and, and you know you think you think you can kind of change or for me at least it works where I can change my emotional state of mind by intellectual processes like you know just kind of like ah, i'm gonna talk myself you know talk myself up and then we'll see where this goes and if you if you talk cheerfully you might feel a little bit more cheerful right it's not the power of positive thinking where you say i can affect what happens in my life by thinking positively it's your way of adapting to things that happen well yeah well and as an irish person i come from a long line of depressives um and so it's just like just depression all the way back to to the old country and i think is there a higher degree like uh, incidence of depression from irish descendant or irish people is anecdotally speaking yeah i mean i'm not gonna go into studies of it but yeah no anecdotally speaking i mean look at what's going on um but you have to learn to, you know, kind of deal with it yourself. And that's the way I deal with it. It's great. It works out well. I get it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, there, obviously there's a lot of, there's a lot of pain out there right now for people who have lost loved ones and uh, lost their jobs. So, I mean, we have to feel, you know, pretty fortunate that that has not necessarily happened to us. And to try to, I mean, I've been, I've been giving to charities (laughs) <laughs> you know, spreading spreading it out for charities that I think, you know, are very worthy. So I think it's the least we can do. I've been swimming through my own personal hell. Um, but yeah, no, it's better than uh, better than uh, losing your job or frankly, still having to work in a physical location because you, you know, like fast food workers right now getting paid basically right. nothing to, you know, Essentially, you know, it's not like it's you're certain to die if you're out there, but it's on the front lines of whatever the hell this thing is. Um, and uh, along those lines, and this is this is a pretty bad story, but I just want to tell it. <laughs> you know what Instacart is? It's that service yeah. that goes out to grocery stores. I, you know, you can tip your Instacart person. Yeah. And I, I guess there's so many Insta, uh, Instacart orders. That you know, it's delaying it, and the person, the person who does the order, who fills it, can actually choose like which one to take and in what order, and you can tip. So at the beginning, you can literally put in a percentage of the order as a tip, and some people are are putting in massive tips to try to get that person 
to choose their order, to prioritize their order. And then when the order is delivered, they're then reducing the tip to zero. Yeah. Yeah. There's a special place in hell for those people. Wow. This person is like semi-risking their life to go get you groceries. Yeah. But then on the other hand, you know, you've got to feel good about all the healthcare workers that are out there that, you know, have been called to duty and have gone to, you know, New York to try to help. Or, or if you heard about it in England too, in London, there's a lot of healthcare workers that have come out of retirement. So there's a lot of good happening also. Yeah. I just, you know, it would be great if our system had set them up with something, you know, like an ounce of the perfective equipment that they actually need to do their jobs well. But yeah, it's good that they're putting themselves in harm's way for everyone. I mean, that's a, a noble sacrifice, but it shouldn't be anywhere near as much of a sacrifice as it is. I don't think we'll we'll stop talking about this soon, but I, I don't even think the government is really using the resources of the American people. I, I mean, I think if you set up a makeshift little factory close to my house where I had some personal protective stuff, I would go make masks, you know, to supply them to hospitals. I'd do any of that. I, I think a lot of people would volunteer. Yeah, I mean, but, you got to figure there's some way to make something that's more effective than wearing cloth around your face that's maybe not quite as effective as an N95 that could be mass manufactured in a pretty simple way. I don't know. And, and I'm thinking a lot of people would volunteer to do it, too, is what I'm saying. That yeah. People, no, are, I think people are basically good, is my theory. That's but, my theory. That's my long-held theory. Um, that's why yeah. I thought it was so stupid that they um, advocated people not wear masks at the beginning, the WHO. Because yeah. they were trying to play on people, they were trying to play on lying to people, where I, I think you have a much better chance if you just played altruism, just play yeah. to people's better instincts, t- tell them exactly the situation. Look, there's limited efficacy with masks, probably better than nothing, but our healthcare workers need it more than anybody, because they're going to be getting just heavy virus loads all day, so... Please do not hang on to these masks. We're going to try to get surgical masks out to everyone or cloth masks or whatever or make your own. But please don't hang on to these N95 things. Those are needed on the front lines. I, I completely agree. Yeah. Uh, I think being deceptive about that was, was not a good look now that we look back on it. But no. Okay. On, that was fun. On, that was – I guess we could probably fill – uh, a podcast about the coronavirus but you know people are hearing about it too much anyway so i have what have you been have you even with two children two children day that are very young are, are you able to binge watch not have even a little binge? bit not even a not little, even little bit. bit um no it's been not binge watch like i've watched so i'm i'm watching um plot against america on hbo uh, i am also philip roth yeah enjoying that and yeah. enjoying is probably the wrong word. Um, consuming that and interested yeah. in it. Um, yes. And then uh, I also am catching up on The Outsider on HBO as well. Um, oh, yeah. Which I'd watched like the first three of. And then I kind of just got waylaid by life. And now I'm back into. Um, and that's pretty good. I was watching it late at night. And I'm still kind of a little bit of a weenie. Um, so I was like, eh, I don't want to really watch this anymore. Cause it was like midnight last night. And I'm like, eh, no, I'm cool. I'm good. Uh, are you a twilight zone kind of guy? That kind of sci-fi stuff? Sort of. Like level? I like it, um, on an intellectual level, but like I said, I'm, okay. kind, I'm kind of a weenie. 
Like, I still kind of get scared of horror movies and stuff. Okay, this is not horror. Tales from the Loop. Okay. Oh, dang. It is really, it's really good. I think uh, it just, wow, it's just, I think we're in third episode, maybe, right now. Um, excellent show. I mean, look it up. If you're a Twilight Zone cool. kind of guy at all, uh, I think every, I think you guys are like it. It's on uh, Amazon Prime. Cool. Um, yeah, very good. Very good show. Really, that's that's you know you, I could probably give um, uh, suggestions for binging, but let's just keep it to one. That would be. Oh, you know what I did want to mention. This is this is kind of fun. So, you know, we've been doing brackets in our family for various things, best Beatles songs, and we just put together a bracket for the best sitcoms of all time. So I was trying to tell my kids about the Mary Tyler Moore Show and the Bob Newhart Show. Two classics in my mind. Um, and so we started to watch. We watched one, a couple of Bob Newhart's actually. And it just reminded me that one of them, or the primary director of the Mary Tyler Moore show is a guy named Jay Sandrich. Are you familiar with him at all, Jay Sandrich? The name is very uh, familiar. Directed, you probably saw it in so many credits of so many sitcoms yeah. in the 70s, all the way. I mean, Mary Tyler Moore Show, Bob Newhart Show, uh, just like the Golden Girls directed. I mean, he was probably the main director on the He's Cosby a Bruin. Show. He is a Bruin. And not only is he, he's still alive. He's like 88 years old, 87. Uh, I think he lives in Aspen primarily. And I'm going to out him a little right here. Not only is he a Bruin, but he is a bro. <laughs> 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 I know he's he's been a long time subscriber. I don't know if he still reads, but he he's been a subscriber for a while. So I just wanted to, if he's at all listening at all, I just wanted to thank Jay Sandridge for what he has contributed to American television. And I, like when I was in the UCLA dorm in the early '80s, they used to do uh, uh, in syndication was Mary Tyler Moore and Bob Newhart. And they'd play them right back to back, like three in a row. And we used to play the, uh, Bob and Mary drinking game. Every time they said Mary or Bob on the show, you had to take a drink. And if you could predict a line, everyone else had a drink. So thank you, Jay. I really appreciate it. That's great. Good stuff. Yeah. Where was cheers? Where was cheers in your rankings? Uh, you know what? We did a bracket. Okay. So what was it seated? Uh, okay. Let me look. Let me look. Let me look. Let me look. Uh, let's see where is that? It was seated. Why is Cheers one of your? Is that your thing? I'm just saying, if you're gonna go into like '80s sitcoms, I mean, Cheers, yeah. you gotta go. Like, what were what, what were the regions? Were there regions? Uh, loosely, we didn't really do it regionally, but uh, I'll just tell you the number one seeds were Seinfeld. Okay. Uh, begrudgingly friends. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, the legitimacy of this no, no, bracket no. is done. No, wait, wait, wait. We're trying now. If we did it just our own personal, our own, but we had, believe me, we seeded because we're going to send this out to a lot of people. And you'd have to admit a lot of people go friends is a six seed. What are you guys thinking? So we, we put them as a number one seed, and then, it, uh, for me, Friends didn't get past round one. Friends and then is, MASH... Friends is like Mash. One, of those, one of those Gonzaga teams from, like, the mid-2000s. Like, a <laughs> oh, two seed, 
that just gets tanked in the second round. Right. MASH was the number one seed. And then with also a nod to more recent stuff, The Office was the number one seed. Okay. Uh, number number two seeds were All in the Family. Um, Cheers, number two seed. That seems fine. Uh, okay, cool. Happy Days was the number two seed. And then I Love Lucy. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. My, uh, my final was Seinfeld winning over MASH in the final. That seems fair. Yeah. Yeah. It is funny, though, how we've just been started to doing this and how some people just have their have their like I have a friend who this woman who loves Frasier. That's like her favorite show of all time ever. And, you know, that's going to win for her. Obviously, she's already told me. So, yeah, I mean, community. Do you like community that show? Um, it's a real mood show. You have to be in the right mood for it. Um, I if watch... you watch it, do you ever openly laugh while you're watching that show? <sighs> so I haven't watched Community in probably... Like, I don't really watch sitcoms. Um, but Community, um, I had a period where I watched it in, like, 2009, probably. Yeah. For, like, a month or two. And then I never watched it again, and I've never had an urge to. Right. It, uh, it, it never, like you say, hey, I'm going to go watch Community. No. And so... Um, Where's 30 Rock on yours? 30 Rock made uh, – did 30 Rock make my – I don't have my filled out bracket. Okay. But 30 okay. Rock went really far. What about uh, – 30 Did animated, 30 Rock was final – either Elite Eight or Final Four for me. Did you consider we didn't do animated, animated sitcoms? No, we didn't do – they had to be all American and no, no, uh, no animated. Okay. Because that just opens up a whole nother. It opens thing. up a lot, and then you've, and yeah. then the form kind of changes too, because there's some that form are like, changes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was. You want me to send it to you? Yeah, I'd love to. Okay. Good. I'm thinking about putting it up on the site again. How I Met Your Mother, I think, is is an excellent show. Yeah. That's a really well crafted, well written show. I really. I really respect that show. It was very well done. So that I one, thought, very I, I thought the me. I thought the lead character was just so insufferable and unlikable that I couldn't handle the show. Like I thought, his, yeah, the I, actor, the actor himself, I thought was insufferable and unlikable. Yeah, but it, it, I understand it's hard to get past sometimes. But the the show is really well done. Yeah. Very very well done. Yeah, you know that's funny too because I was just telling my kids we watched a couple of Bob Newharts and they were. The shows written back then were written about real people, you know, like today, the even on Seinfeld towards the end, the characters started becoming more like, you know, caricatures. They they they're not real people anymore. You got to got to go over over the top just to be get an outrageous character to get laughs, seemingly compared to back like Mary Tyler Moore show. I mean, I'm showing my age. Have you ever watched that show, Dave? Mary Tyler Moore? I mean, I'm yes. sure I've seen episodes. Yeah, excellent show. But, yeah. it, you know, it was written about real people. So, yeah. anyway, okay. Uh, that interview with real person Chip Kelly. <laughs> real person? Or real person. Well, first off, uh, did, you, did you feel a little bit of a different tone maybe because it was a No, a honestly, honest to God, I thought you all were suffering from like massive like – shut-in syndrome or something because it was it was it was chip just a little bit more expansive 
but that's like it was like still kind of the same like weird rote speak in response to questions like oh well we can't control that it's okay yeah we know you can't but no i mean it was it was the same chip i thought it was a little bit better i thought his answers were slightly better and that i thought the tone was better i think in person for whatever reason just from a personality standpoint he feels probably a little bit more challenged when you're in person asking him questions well, i, I thought his tone reality he actually is, said good question tracy he's uh, he, he <laughs> He's uncomfortable on camera. Like he's he's not com- so. he's not comfortable on camera, and I think that plays into it. So I don't, you know, don't need to beat him up forever about it. But um, I mean, it was it, it it seemed like the same chip, yeah. But yeah, it was it was the more jovial chip, which does he does come out on occasion. Like there have been moments, even when he's like at practice, where he is a better version of himself, um, and he was certainly bringing that out uh, yesterday. So that was good. What do you think about the substance of? of what he said, some of the things. I find it really interesting when you ask coaches, and they always, or anyone else, they preface it by, well, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'll leave it up to them. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we know you're not a doctor. We're not, we, we aren't either. We're not asking you for your medical advice. We're asking you, if this happens, what do you think about it and how he, it will he impact? Doesn't, he doesn't deal in hypotheticals, Tracy. <laughs> I know when I try to ask him about what you thought about playing the games without fans, um, that, that, I mean, all in all, everything he said, that was the one answer that I really would have followed up on, but he talked for a long time and we couldn't get him. We could go for a lot longer asking him follow-up questions, but he said that when I asked him about playing the games without fans, he said, if, uh, if you're going to do that because you don't want to put the fans in danger. Why would you put the players in danger? And I thought that was kind of maybe, I don't know. Everyone has their opinion, but I, I think there's a likelihood that could happen. Um, I mean, you could test all the players. You could test all the team personnel that are going to be there. I mean, what is that for two teams to play? Would that be 300 people maybe as opposed to 50,000 people in the stand sitting right next to each other? Um, I think, I think I, I, have you heard maybe if the if Major League Baseball is thinking they might do that too? Yeah, but it's different if it's professional athletes and privately held organizations. So True. if if the MLB, NFL, and I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if any of those organizations decide they're going to have a season, um, and they might decide it in the summer. I mean, they might decide the risk is good enough that they're just going to do it without fans. The thing with college is none of these kids are getting paid, um, so you're putting them whatever at at. X percentage more risk um, by having them be in contact with, you know, their hundred teammates and then the, you know, guys playing on the other team. Um, You know, some sport where you're like constantly respirating in somebody else's face. I don't know, man. That doesn't sound super kosher to me. Um, It doesn't sound good, but I'm saying that if there is pressure to try to play the season because of the loss of revenue, wouldn't they want to at least hold on to all the TV revenue that they're going to get? Yeah, they, 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 they certainly would. But like, think about the optics of what that'll look like. So say these schools are like, okay, we're going to have a, a, a – so if they're going to have team sports, right, but they're not willing to put people in a stadium, are they going to be willing to put kids in classrooms again? And if they're not willing to put I, kids in classrooms, why are they willing to put players in practice where they're going to be respirating much heavily, much more heavily than they would in classrooms? All very valid. And did you see that poll? I can't remember where it came from, so I can't cite it. That uh, 72% of Americans said they would not 
without a vaccination uh, available, they would not attend a sporting event this fall. And, and that amongst, will change over time. I mean, if, if yeah, I think we're going to hit a point like uh, I've got a, a somewhat pessimistic prediction about what's going to happen, which is that we get to June or whatever. Like, I, I think the May 1st opening up stuff is a lot of hopeful talk that's probably not going to happen. But say we get sure. to June and only like 10 people are dying a day, right, nationally. To everyone out there, it's going to look like, okay, this isn't a real thing anymore. And then they're going to decide, okay, we're going back to bars. We're going back to class. We're doing all this stuff. And that's going to spike it again. Um, like, well, at this- least when – if it mimics the, the flu and, you know, come October when flu season hits – that it, you know, with no vaccination by then, that it hits big again come October. Yeah, but we don't even right? know if it's going to be seasonal. Um, like, True. they don't know that yet. It could be the case that because it's a novel virus, it maintains a pretty good level over the summer. Like, if everyone just right. suddenly decided True. they were going to go to, like, summer festivals and everything, you would see a July spike. I mean, it's hard to imagine that you wouldn't. Um, I think I'd have to wait until, like what you said uh, the cases and the fatalities have gone really are almost nil. And then people are starting to get back out and they've been doing it for probably a couple of weeks and it hasn't spiked back up. That's when maybe I would start to even consider going out, but I, I don't think before that. Yeah. And that's the thing is you can't ask that question at the beginning of April for something that's going to happen in September because there are, there, there's some factors that could, there's a lot of variables right now. If we maintain our discipline with this whole thing and maintain our social distancing and lockdown stuff until like mid-July or early August, we might not eradicate the damn thing, but come pretty close. Um, and if we do that, then probably a lot of stuff's on the table again. Are we going to do that? Right. I have my doubts. Like some states haven't even locked down yet, um, particularly here in the glorious South. Um, so... You know, it's just there's a lot there's a lot still just kind of up in the air that we're we just kind of have to wait and see. I mean, if we open up too early, then I think a lot of this this fall stuff becomes a lot more precarious because then we basically just set our clock back. And then there is the seasonality, too. Let's say it, it kind of does what we're saying is that it because of uh, the lockdown, it starts, you know, it flattens and then goes down practically to nothing by, you know, June, July, August. Um, people start to go out and you're still, it's still feeling, you know, you haven't seen a spike literally don't know if it's going to mimic other, other viruses and then hit hard again without vaccination in October. So yeah, I don't know. There's a, there's, there's so many things that are unknown and I mean, obviously I would like them to play uh, the football season, but I have to kind of tend to agree. I, I don't. I would phrase it this I, I don't way. Think we would like we would like things to be in the situation where you can play a football season. Um, yeah, that's really what it is. You want. I mean, we don't. We want this thing to be done like over the summer, meaning that the the stupid thing is eradicated or at least minimized to the point where we can just do whatever it's called contact tracing. You know, when somebody gets it. We can just go to their like four close loved ones and say, "Hey, you got to quarantine for fourteen days." Um, get to that point, um, and we—if we do the things that they tell us to do, we might be able to do that. But if we don't, it's 
the life of this thing is going to get extended and potentially it ends up being just a seasonal illness that we all have to deal with the same way flu is. I mean, the the door, I, I think it's still a possibility that we can get this thing down to a pretty low level where it's not the flu because it, it, it hasn't infected anywhere near as many people as the flu does every year at this point. But if we let it get to the point where it infects a third of Americans or whatever, then we're basically just conceding that it's going to be a seasonal illness that we have to deal with every year and get vaccinated for. And I don't know if anyone's familiar with flu vaccines, but those are not 100% effective. We have no guarantee this thing's going to be either. So commit to the idea that we can get this down to a low enough level that it's like some weird disease that only, you know, half of a percent of people ever get versus something that we all have to deal with a third of us or two thirds of us every single season. Right. Yeah. There's just so much unknown. That's the thing. And it, it's just very difficult to, in, in relation to whether they're going to play a season. Yeah. You know, there's just too many unknowns to even think about it. Um, from what I've heard though, uh, from other sources is that the PAC 12 is, is coming up with contingency plans when it comes to uh, different scenarios and what they would do uh, from a very inside source. This isn't public, so you guys are all getting big information here. Um, there is a tentative plan possibly for the Pac-12 teams that still have some spring practices uh, that they still have available uh, that they might be able to start practicing in June. So that would be after school is out and for most school, uh, for most practical programs, including UCLA, actually, I'm thinking about it, um, that they would be able to finish their spring practices in June. Um, of course, that's contingent on a lot of things. But right now, based on what they're thinking are some the most viable models, is that that might happen. Uh, so that will be very interesting. And of course, that's not set in stone. That can readjust given, you know, different situations. Well, yeah, because they're not going to be able to do anything until the governors tell them. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I thought, yeah, I thought Chip's interview uh, was was interesting. Um I'm writing a piece right now of the of the 10 guys among uh, a number of guys that I would think uh, would have to step up on the football team for UCLA have a successful season. Uh, Dave, just take a shot at who you think, besides uh, besides Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Let's just say besides that. Who? A step up would lead to a successful season. Is that what we're saying? Yes. Yes, they need to step up to provide a role that UCLA would need to have a successful season. Oh, Bo Calvert? Bo Calvert. Ding, ding. Very much so. Um, um, when's the last time? I mean, Chris Barnes wasn't necessarily a world beater, but he did lock down that position for three seasons. I mean, and he, he was solid, you know, last year, year before. Uh I mean it. You need a middle line. You need that Mike linebacker, and I think Calvert is talented. I, I think he might be a little out of position there. I don't know if that's the ideal place for him, even though he might have enough talent to pull it off. But that will be interesting to see if that happens. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, certainly whoever is going to seize the running back job is going to need to step up from whatever they were doing before, whether it's Britton Brown or, you know. Ding, any, ding. Any I, said, the, I said Britton Brown. Yeah, because yeah. even, frankly, even if he seizes the job, he's going to need to play better than he ever played at Duke. Um, or Or just play more. Because yeah. he hasn't been healthy for two seasons, really. Yeah. Um, Joshua Kelly averaged like a little over, I think, twenty carries a game. You and not only you know the frequency, but the effectiveness of it. You need somehow to reproduce that. <laughs> yeah. Whether with one guy or by committee, and I, you know, that will be interesting to see if they can do that. We've always said without Joshua Kelly, Chip Kelly's offense would sputter because uh, I mean, didn't you have some, didn't you one time do some? Yeah. It's a wholly different thing analysis. without him in the, without him in the offense. Right. It's very bad. Right. Um, well, definitely whoever ends up um, actually playing tight end, I mean, Mike Martinez or Greg Dulcich or whoever, um, they're going to need to catch a lot of balls. Um, yeah. And block. And block. They're going to need to do a whole lot of stuff. But, I mean, this has been a very tight end-centric offense. So either the offense is changing or both of those guys, frankly, are going to have to play big roles. Um, are you reading my story? Because no. this is like – this is verbatim. I mean, it's pretty good. Okay, keep going. Um, who else? Um, going to need a pass rush, but I don't know who it's going to be. Um, oh, my God. Okay, yeah. That's exactly what I wrote. I, I said Damian Sellers. I think he'll be the most yeah, talented guy sure. among that outside linebacker, defensive end, pass rushing guy. So. Um, I mean, at that point, you're – well, hey, hey, hey. You're going hey. to you're, you're need a kicker to step up. Oh, that's one of the ten. Good job, Dave. This is amazing. We didn't cheat on this, I swear. This is happening. Yeah, this um, is real time. And that's Nicholas. When's the last time UCLA went into a season without like a proven field goal kicker or knowing that like the guy coming in was literally ranked one of the top two guys in the country? JJ, I mean, we're, we're talking, we're talking that that Tyler Gonzalez coming in off the soccer team year, I think. Yeah, Kip Smith. That was yeah, and Kip Smith wow, was even ranked pretty like, high. That had to be like eight to ten years ago. Yeah, that Kip was Smith. that was yeah. like 2011, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a question. I mean, they do have Luke Akers, who um, was ranked tenth in Cole's kicking. Kind of interesting. Uh, he's not ranked in Chris Saylor's rankings. If uh, this is a little bit of trivia, if anyone doesn't know or anyone really cares, uh, there's kind of a battle among in kicking events and rankings. There's Chris Saylor and there's Cole's kicking, and some kickers. You know, traditionally it was Chris Saylor, and more and more kickers are going to Cole's kicking. So that's what Luke Akers did. He competed mostly in in Cole's events than Chris Saylor. So he's not ranked in Chris Saylor. But number 10, he's also a good punter, actually, too. Um, but Nicholas Barmira is the redshirt uh, walk-on uh, freshman who kicked in spring you know, there was only one field goal period. He made all four. Just watching him on the sideline doesn't look like he necessarily has a big foot, but, you know, he looked fairly consistent. Um, but you're right. Kicker is, kicker is a thing along with punter. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, you want to stop there? I, I, I had a couple of very interesting ones, if you, 
Should yeah, I just yeah, say yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for yours. Um, I was thinking about offensive line, and I was thinking, okay, if you've got Sean Ryan, Jake Burton at the tackles, uh, Duke Clemens probably once he comes off his injury is starting somewhere, probably at center. Alec Anderson, uh, you know, when he did play guard last year, looked pretty good and is in the starting lineup. So really, those guys are fairly, you know, known quantities. Um, and I hate to rip on him or, or be critical, but John Gaines, I think, is not ready to probably play consistently at that at this level. And so if you plug in one more guy who is who is – worthy of this level and you have that starting five that might be decent and my my bet is maybe that Antonio Mafi emerges as that guy from just watching him for a week and knowing he has a, a history of playing offensive line in high school his his quick feet and that big body I I think even though he was third string in spring you know you got to put a guy there as soon as he makes a position change uh Oh, here's a I question. Think, uh, sorry, uh, yeah. somewhat related to just Mafi, but like just generally, for guys who um, have maybe it's a little bit rude, but for guys who have gotten their diets under control while being in the program and have like kind of reformed their bodies, what are they doing for training table remotely? Are the is the team yeah. able to provide food deliveries? You know, that was a question I had that I wanted to ask uh, Chip yesterday. Um, but we were getting into 27 minutes and we we're, you know, we had done a lot of follow-up questions. It's something that it's a very good question. I'll try to get that answered somehow. Yeah. Cause that'll be interesting because for a guy like Moffy, it's important for him to maintain momentum in that area. Uh, yeah. But a lot of these guys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I, I thought Rayshad Williams with the loss of Darnay Holmes, uh, you know, and the other, Elijah Gates moving to third string and looking like he's in the doghouse. He's going to be key at cornerback. Um, I also put in, and you might find this semi-interesting, is Daytona Jackson. Uh, Osu Digazu is the best defensive lineman on the team, I think, far and away. He had 10 tackles for loss, led the team last year. But if you don't have anyone else in the defensive line that presents a real threat to the offense, they'll just double team the guy who's good. So someone needs to be able to free up Osa. And maybe that's Daytona. Maybe it's, you know, uh, 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 Adua, Isabor. Um, maybe it's Tyler Manoa, but I think Jackson might have a chance. Cool. So there are a couple other ones in there too, but I'll just leave that for you all to read. It'll be wonderful when we get a chance to. Um, should we switch gears to basketball? You want to talk basketball? Now? <laughs> I could just sense that that's all you wanted to do. Yeah, let's do that. I only ever Go want ahead. to talk basketball. I know that. Um, as a longtime, you know, basketball fan, never cared much for football. Um, <laughs> uh, that's so. Yeah, it's not true. No, uh, Johnny Juzang. Is that how Johnny we're going Juz with it? Just Juzang. That's a great. That's a great name. It's really it's good. A great uh, Kentucky uh, transfer uh, coming into UCLA. He committed. Was that yesterday? That feels like seven weeks ago. Was that yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday. Wow. Yeah. 
Um, Johnny Juzank uh, committing to UCLA. He was a high four-star um, out of high school. I think he was the 33rd ranked prospect in the country. Um, Something like that. Didn't play much at Kentucky. Um, had some playing time issues early on, but had a really good second half of the season. They did not want to lose him. Uh, if you read any of their message boards and that sort of thing, it wasn't the kind of thing where they thought there was no promise there. I mean, he was he was coming alive um, at the end of the year, but he elected to transfer. Coming into UCLA, um, and in his little message said he's looking to see if he can be immediately eligible um, with yeah. um, an early uh, attempt to, to get a waiver. So all of that's very exciting news, even if he's not you know, eligible this year, still very exciting news. But if he is, I don't know, man, is he starting? What are you thinking? Huh? That's a good question. I mean, obviously a lot of that will depend on what happens with Chris Smith, but, um, does he start over? Uh, I mean, who would he start over? It's basically, does he start over Tiger Campbell or David Singleton at the two? I, I don't think he starts over Tiger Campbell, uh, Tiger became Tiger became the whole catalyst of the offense in the second half of of the season. Well, um, are you thinking he starts over Knicks? Is there a potentially starting over Knicks? That would be the other question because I uh, uh, and I think the way uh, McCronin's going to conceive of this offense is that you got a guy bringing up the ball who you know brings it up, but then you need guys in the in the offense who can create, and that was. Tiger Campbell. He's the main creator on the team. And then I think Dacian Nix will grow into that role. So I I don't know if he plays over those those guys. I think that's the starting backcourt, yeah. personally. Um, and Jaime, Jaime Yaquez, I don't think is getting knocked out of that starting that starter's role. So I think think he'd have a chance to start if Chris Smith doesn't return. I think the, Um, and the interesting thing is they're also, they're really going to have to experiment hardcore with small lineups um, next year, even without Juzang eligible, but they're going to need to look at, I mean, not that he's an ideal fit for it, but Hawkes as your stretch four too, because they're going to need to get lineups on the floor with your best players and it's going to be a guard and wing heavy lineup. Like it just is. Um, and you need to recognize that. So that's. I don't have a pro- I don't have any issue with that because by the end of the season, in my opinion, I thought Yaquez could, was a better defender than Chris Smith, even against, you know, bigger guys. Um, and I think he'll only get, he'll only get better with his yeah. defense. So I don't, I mean, yeah, he might be two inches shorter than Chris, but that doesn't matter. Most teams play. The four out, one in. They have one post and four perimeter guys anyway. Yeah. Um, and it's not like you don't have the personnel to where you could match up if any other team goes with two post players. You know, you could easily do that too with who they have UCLA has on its roster. So I have no, absolutely no problem with that if Chris Smith leaves. Um, interesting too. Uh, does Juzang? And this is completely. I, I have no answer for this. Um, and other transfers, if they're transferring back close to home, are they more likely to get a waiver for immediate eligibility from the NCAA given the coronavirus? You might, you, yeah. And beyond Go that, ahead. 
I think well, I think that'll af- absolutely be an excuse. I want to be close to my family because I need the support system. And two, right. um, it, it always works out that way. If you're moving closer to home for your transfer, then it's much easier to come up with an excuse um, that's right. viable. Um, right. So, yeah, I think that's uh, that does not seem like a, a zero possibility. That seems like it could really happen. Um, right. So. Yeah, that's obviously very exciting news. It gives UCLA um, another shooting-type player. Um, he's not quite the shooter that Jake Kaiman is, but he's uh, probably a better shooter than anyone else in the roster. I would think. I mean, on the season, he shot almost 33%. And, and that 43 was in fits, per- yeah. Yeah, 43% in conference, and then I eyeballed it really quick, and in March and April, he was about at 55%. So... Yeah, he once he got the feel, you know, the it happens, you know, in college. But he looked he looked like a pretty good shooter by the end. So I'd say that that's right. Second best shooter behind Jake Kaiman on the team. Yeah, and if you if you give him that, um, put him in the lineup. Um, you've got Kaiman coming off the bench. I mean, suddenly that and with Knicks. I mean, can't forget Knicks. Suddenly that team looks pretty good offensively. Um, and this is kind of, I mean, Smith you need because you, you'd like to have a guy who can ISO and do that whole thing. But this is kind of what I was talking about where losing Smith, it's a it's a blow. Like you can't get past that. But I don't think it actually diminishes the upside that significantly of next year's team because that defensive mindset's still there. But if you add Juzang to this group as well, it even less so does that diminish the right. upside. Um, because you're adding a shooter who with – now two creators in the lineup and Knicks and Campbell, you know, that might actually end up being a better offense. It's funny to see what you just said. Um, like, let's not forget about Dacian Knicks. <laughs> Isn't it funny how things change? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's the number one point guard in the country. And I mean, he is literally going to really impress everyone next year. But the program right now after that season and with Mick, with so much goodwill and so much good buzz, <laughs> you can almost forget about Dacian Knicks, which is pretty phenomenal, which is where the UCLA program should be, right? Yeah, yeah. where you're sitting so, there like, oh, the five-star point guard. Oh, right, right. Yeah. One more scholarship remaining for next season open if they don't get – if uh, Chris Smith doesn't leave. Uh, so, of course, there's a lot of discussion on the forum about how that should be used. Uh uh, right now, I, I think the biggest priority is just getting a, a multi-year eligible big. Yes. Because you never know what's going to happen with Jalen Hill or uh, Cody Riley, even after next season, whether they stay at UCLA for their redshirt senior year, which would be 2021. Uh, so I think that that's why they're going so hard after Joshua Morgan, the transfer from Long Beach State. If they don't get him uh, – It'll be interesting to see what they do. If they really, I think they would hold open that scholarship just in case some kind of big, you know, shakes loose somewhere. Um, but if not, uh, they are recruiting that combo guard from uh, Ohio State. I can confirm they are very much re- recruiting that kid. Uh, do they opt for another guard like that um, when they reached, can't get a big? We've reached the point, I think where you maybe tap the brakes on recruiting a whole bunch more guards. Yeah. They've got a lot. 
Yeah, because we're not even talking about Jalen Clark either. I mean, they've got a, they are they've got a lot of dudes now, but through the one through three to the point where we're pushing some of them to the four. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot going on. But Listen to that though. What you a gotta, great you problem pump, to have. You got to pump exactly. You got to pump the brakes. Well, you got to pump the brakes on taking an elite player. Well, wow. think about like the first couple problem. years of Alford, where we're talking about how many wasted scholarships they were using, like just on guys who would never play at this level. And now we're like, all right, maybe you can't take that, you know, high four star guard. Sorry, you just can't do it. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean that guy from Ohio State too, uh, Muhammad. That that would be a tough guy to really turn down because he is like a he's a six three combo guard who was one of the best defenders in that league and probably would be one of the best on ball perimeter defenders in the Pac twelve as soon as he came to UCLA. He he would give you some insurance if Dacian Nix goes pro after a year that he could, you know, be that kind of creator in the offense himself because he's I guess he's really good off the dribble. Tough kid, you know that would be that'd be interesting. I mean, you, you say no now if he wants to commit. Luckily, I don't think the kid's anywhere close to committing because you want to wait on Joshua Morgan. Um, but yeah, that's a good place to be in. Other people were bringing up uh, what was it, the Loyola Marymount big, who's transferring. Uh, you know, their grad transfer bigs. I think they'd probably want to stay away from not stay away, but not necessarily take one uh most grad transfers want to go someplace where they know they're going to start they don't want really come off the bench much um so i mean adding adding a grad transfer big that wouldn't know if he's going to start over jalen hill or cody Riley. for one thing i don't know if they'd want to come in that situation for next season uh i it's only a scholarship is taken up for a year so you can very much go after you know, another big in 2021, but I think you'd still want to keep that open in case someone does still shake loose as a multi-year eligible big transfer, or maybe even, uh, maybe even a 2020 big, uh, shakes loose from some other program where he just wants out of his NLI or something. I yeah. don't know. Hard to, hard to, hard to give that, you know, if you're in June or July and the, this big wants to come and he's fine with not starting and it gives you more depth for a year, sure. But right now, I, I can't see it happening. Yeah. And one thing uh, to note on the Juzang thing as well, uh, I, I know anecdotally, Calipari is usually very good about doing what he can to make sure transfers out of Kentucky actually do get immediate eligible. He's like the anti-Chris Peterson from that perspective. Because say whatever yeah. you will about Calipari, he is a player's coach. Um, Very so, much. Yep. So um, there's a lot of reason to think that Ju Zhang will get, or you know, there's a very good chance that he'll get uh, immediately eligible. Are you kind of saying that you'd rather have Calipari at UCLA than Cronin? Is that? No, 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 no. <laughs> actually, honestly, after, so it, uh, pre this past season, yes, I would have taken Calipari. Um, but... Looking at the way Cronin has fit, um, just everything about the program, in addition to the fact that the the proof in the pudding has been pretty damn good so far, no, no way at this point. But before the season, you, like back in April of last year, yeah, I probably would have taken Calipari. 
Really? If you remember, I was I was anti Calipari. I remember you being anti Calipari. Yeah, just too many, too many issues. Um, just does it doesn't do it the way that would fit at UCLA. Um, and then I've I've if there's one thing I've learned about hiring coaches at UCLA, UCLA is a really nice place. You know, we've talked about this before. You could get a really nice big house out there in Malibu and kind of sit back and take it as a retirement job. And you need you need someone who really wants to prove that they're going to win at this level. Who, yeah. Whether that's a young guy or an older, whatever he he wants to prove that that he can win. And I don't know if hiring Calipari at that point would he would have had that fire. To, to really win at UCLA. Well, and really, the only comes, way he knows how to do it is with one and done. What, what it comes down to for me is that um, Calipari uh, wears good suits, right? And after mm-hmm. Steve Alford for so many years, I just wanted a coach who wears good suits. But then, before the start of the season, there was that huge story that Bolch did, this breaking, incredible story about McCronin's <laughs> suits, where he's wearing these like $10,000 suits. And I'm like, okay. We got a guy who knows I how mean, to wear a suit that fits. And right now, after seeing a full season, I think Cronin's suit game it's better. absolutely competes with Calipari's. Yeah, it's definitely no, it's it's fundamentally better than uh, than Calipari's. Like it's 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 a cleaner look, but it's more comparable to like a Rick Pitino. Like you know, Rick Pitino liked to dress well, but this is a cleaner look. Like it's a better, yeah. more professional look than and then you know watch Pitino wearing a linen white suit. Uh, and then the watch game too. The watch game's good too, and I'm not a watch guy at all. Like watch, I'm not uh, at all. Either, it's just yeah. it's full male jewelry thing. But from everything that people say, it's a good game. Um, yeah. So yeah. no, you got to be happy with everything. But on a on a very uh, minor note, the fact that we have a coach who's you know we we, we get to watch a coach who's not um, wearing parachute pants um, with their suit. <laughs> yeah. who, who doesn't have a like a, a double break that's like going below their heel um, on their pants it's just you know with all we've done do we really need to get into the fashion statement with Steve Alford I mean like, I think I think you make you make three million dollars a year buddy and you can't you <laughs> you're not can't, gonna let up you can't you? take you're your not. jacket and your pants into like a tailor in downtown Los Angeles, it will cost you like $12 just to control what's going on at the bottom of your pants. Like, you can't Maybe do that. It just didn't fit him well. Maybe, no, you're just, uh, he's just buying off the rack and never tailoring it. And look, if you're Joe Schmo, whatever, fine, whatever. You're not making $3 million a year. You're making $3 million. Somebody at some point is telling you, hey, your clothes don't fit. And you're so arrogant that you're like, no, they look great. Like, that's what's happening. That's the only way that's I, happening. I don't think. I don't think anyone was telling him that his clothes don't fit. I, don't I was telling him. Was. I was telling him. Do you think he was listening to you? I, uh, obviously not. Obviously not. Obviously. Yeah. He stopped listening to you very early on, Dave. Man. Stephen. Stephen Todd. So, Middle um, name's Todd. This, this basketball team, let's just say Chris Smith comes back. Let's say Johnny Juzang is eligible. What what do you think? Banner twelve. <laughs> you know what? You shouldn't say that stuff because the last you are you you are a bit of a you can be jinxy 
a little, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no? Yeah. So just so uh, I would say the upside of that team is Banner Twelve. Um, <laughs> okay. The I, I think there's a really high floor to that team. Um, yeah. Like I don't. It would be a hard thing to imagine that team, barring catastrophic injuries, which you can't anticipate. But there'd need to be a couple. I mean, frankly, they, that's a that's a deep, talented team. And like we just talked about, the offense will be a lot better just with that talent in there. Like, whatever you want to say about the structure of that offense, um, by the end of the year, it was actually, you know, Campbell breaking things down and kicking it out. Like, that was working. Um, and so maybe... Just if everyone is a little bit incrementally better. Yeah. Just a little. Um, yeah. So offensively, it'll be better. And defensively, it'll look a lot more like it looked in the last month and a half than it than it looked at the beginning of last year, which means it'll be a comfortably, probably like top 30-ish defensive team um, combined with, you know, uh, last year they were a pretty good offensive team. Actually, if you look at the efficiency numbers and they should only be better. So top 20, top 30. So that's probably the low end. Um, The top end is that they're top 10 in both categories. They could be. You you don't really know what the effect of Knicks is going to be. But you combine him with a, Tiger Campbell, who's already shown that he can be a really good distributor, um, and there's going to be less pressure on Campbell to be that sole creator that he had to be at different points towards the end of the year where he was taking 13 shots and missing 13 shots in a game. Um, If he doesn't have to do that as much, um, then the offense is going to be more efficient. Um, So I I think there's a lot of upside with next year's team, but I think the, the real floor is that they're like a top 25 team. That's that's the floor that they're like the twenty fifth best team in the country. Yeah, yeah, that's a really exciting team to think about. That that's yeah, yeah, and uh, I think I think we'll know we'll have a lot more information on whether we're you know the college basketball season is going to be played than we might even necessarily have with the football season do you think there's uh, aren't those two different things i mean uh, they could play the basketball season but not play the football season i think so i so from a professional league standpoint i think definitely with colleges it just gets squishy because it's going to depend for the colleges on when students are allowed back on campus if they're not allowed back on campus then they're not going to have a college basketball season because there needs to be that equitable sense of things um they can't force these students to do x in person while not allowing these students to do y um so whether that makes sense is anyone's feel free to like argue it out but i'm just from a reality of how these universities operate they're just not going to want to have the liability um and even for like a broad university the television contract for sports is small potatoes compared to the broader mission of the university and the broader budget of the university. Um, So they're not going to make a decision based on, oh, okay, I guess we can get, we're not going to get our $15 million distribution from the Pac-12 network this year or whatever it is. So I, I have a hard time seeing them doing that unless kids are allowed back on campus to go to school. Um, And if they're not, then I don't think there's going to be athletic seasons in either sport. Um, so I guess that's a long way of saying, no, I don't think there's going to be a fundamental difference because I think the main thing is going to be whether kids are allowed back on campus. You're kind of hinting around it. 
And I think you probably just don't want to say it because, I mean, after all, we are a sports news website. That I don't think but, there's going to be a season? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's going to be a season um, because I don't think – because I am pretty pessimistic about our chances of maintaining our current social distancing thing until August. And if we if we have continued spikes over the summer, there's no way colleges are going to allow kids back on campus in the fall. I think the uh, – it's just – it's hard to see a situation where absent antiviral treatments – so there's like three things that could happen that change the game. One – we get an antibody test that's really accurate that tells us that, oh, yeah, actually 70% of people have had it already, and all of you are immune permanently. Oh, okay. Then but we is, do, they don't even know that yet. They have that no, is idea. Actually true. no idea. No um, idea. But if that comes out, and I think that's very unlikely, but if that comes out, then, yeah, that's a complete game changer. Okay, that's one. The second one is they somehow miraculously come up with a vaccine super early. Um, you know, they fast-track the testing they find that it's completely safe or they just don't give a shit. And then they recommend that everyone take it. And okay, but that's probably still not happening by the fall. But so that's very unlikely as well. I think the likeliest possibility seemingly from everything I'm reading is that, and this is still unlikely, but that they develop some meaningful antiviral treatment that really diminishes the symptoms that really takes the you know potential death from this thing down to, you know, not a negligible amount, but like maybe more like the flu, where it is like truly 0.1%, even at a case fatality level. Um, and if that's the case, then you could say, okay, well, we've got a treatment now in place that'll at least make it so this isn't, this is more like getting the flu, like it's, it truly is. Um, then, yeah. But can you, you, along their same lines, can you, can you let college players go out there and play because you have a therapeutic? Well, if the therapeutic is at a mass scale, I mean, it's the same thing as like if you've got the flu and you take Theraflu, right? Um, but if it if that's enough to diminish the death rate down to like a 0.1%, where truly the only people dying are people with like real rampant comorbidities and not like it, it, it's an it's a relatively unserious thing for everyone else, which is not the case right now. Um, the case right. right now is that at a case fatality rate between two and 4% of people are dying. But if you can take that down to 0.1%, which I'm, I, I have no idea if that's even possible with antiviral treatments, but say it is, then yeah, you could, you, you could start to talk about doing anything again, because if and there, there if, might be something in between there too. There might be a vaccine. Uh, I'm not saying that there's a probability and there's almost none, but since we're top talking mainly therapeutic, there might be something some kind of therapeutic treatment that might be preventative also that diminishes it if you get it. So there's a lot of gray area in there that could happen. And we we obviously just don't know. Yeah, it just from everything we're reading is that from everything I'm reading, it's that the likelihood of any of these things happening quickly enough for the fall yeah. is really limited, which is why all of the scientists are recommending doing this period of social distancing. And, and then, the, the model that the White House keeps citing is this Washington model, this University of Washington model, the IMHE model, which says now 60,000 people are going to die if we follow this perfectly, which is the social distancing model where we keep everything on a lockdown until literally August 4th. Um, if we open things up on May 1st, this model is no longer the viable model because we're not doing the thing that the model is using as a predicate for how they're determining 
how many people are going to so, die. So the model changes. The model will change. And the model will change right. then to drastically increase the deaths because right. the, 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 the parameters have changed. So, and, and, and then the other thing when it comes to just literally deciding, uh, there will be, uh, whether there's seasons, football or basketball, the, there will be states that will allow, will uh, allow people out of the lockdown, will allow students uh, on campus and other states that won't. Yes, so, you're talking about the SEC. Uh, because there's a lot of southern states, I was. There, there's a lot of southern states that haven't even locked down yet. Like they still have not right. Mississippi, Alabama, right. like there's a lot of them. So, and a couple of Midwestern states too, but generally speaking, we're talking about the South and um, yeah. And there's a strong undercurrent of people who are like, this isn't that serious. And it's because the wave, the way it's going to hit is it's always going to start in cities first. So you're going to have it big in New York. You're going to have it big in, you know, Seattle and a couple other places, Detroit, and then, but once it gets into a rural area, it can be devastating. Like there's um, a rural Georgia county in South Georgia that has like 50% of the deaths in Georgia because once you get into a rural place, suddenly you don't have any ICU capacity. You have very few doctors um, and the rural hospital network is not very good throughout most of this country. Um, so at that point is when it gets serious for those areas, um, but it's just, it hasn't hasn't gotten as pervasive there as it, you know, possibly will. Right. What does the NCAA do when the SEC says we're our schools are going back since our schools are going back, our football teams can practice? I mean, they operate the same toothless way they've done forever. I mean, what are they going to do? No, the SEC <laughs> can do whatever it wants. I mean, it's the tail that wags. So that we're dog. just going to have an, an SEC season. Yeah, they would do that. Which, which we have anyway. <laughs> No, I mean, they would, they would do if that. If you're ESPN. Yeah, they'll, they'll do that in a heartbeat. Um, and they'll open themselves. I mean, the, the only reason they won't is if they recognize the legal implications of what they're doing. And they might open themselves up to some serious lawsuits if people get sick. Um, right. And that might ultimately dictate it for them. Because for whatever Joe Fan thinks, um, most of these commissioners are at least not fully stupid. And they're going to be risk averse um, from kind of that perspective. Yeah. Wow. Strange times. So strange. Nothing's ever been more strange. It's this true. Is, is... I mean, even after 9-11, obviously our lives changed. And there was a not only in what we did and how we got on airplanes, but just our perspective on life. But I don't think anything will be this will have such a profound impact. No, I, the, I last, mean, the last you, generation you think, that had anything like this was World War II. Um, World War II. Do you, do you think we'll ever really... Uh, will it ever really go back? I mean, well... Uh, so if we eradicate the thing, like if we go to August and we knock it down to the point where it's like, I don't know. what What's a disease that still happens, sort of, but is not like a really prevalent thing like i don't know is viral meningitis like a really big thing i don't know okay let's go with that but some like some like serious but really non-prevalent disease um that we don't have to like continuously monitor and worry about then i think life can go back to some variation of normal but if it's a new seasonal illness that kills at like a 
you know, one to two percent rate when you get it if you haven't been vaccinated or if the vaccine isn't effective or all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's going to drastically change our lives. Like, well, shaking hands will be done, um, but so will like hugging. Like a lot of things will be gone um, because it just won't make it, it just won't make sense anymore. Like you won't like all these like physical contact things that we do. You're not going to do like you're not going to hug coworkers and crap like you'll hug your family, I, but you're I, not. Gonna... I think. Yeah. And I think just very simply, too. Obviously, there will be a lot of people who go out to bars and restaurants. There will. But I think a good portion of them are still it's always going to be in the back of your mind when, you know, the waitress hands you that menu <laughs> or she's sitting right in front of you and she just coughs. Oh, there'll be online ordering. Um, I think you're going to have like you, if you go to a restaurant, which I think people are still going to want to do, you'll order ahead of time, right? And just place your order and then get it when you get there and you'll sit at the table. But, you know, it's going to be here's your pitcher of water, not here. I'm coming by to refill it all the time. Or more iPad ordering. Yeah, I think the there'll table. be a lot of that stuff. And like movie theaters, think about that. Like I... I don't love the idea of just watching movies at home, right? I, I don't like either. to continue to go to we movie theaters, but yeah. movie theaters in the best of times are kind of, you know, dingy. Oh, you know, and dirty, dirty, dirty places. Yeah, dirty, yeah. gross experiences. And now, I don't know. I mean, a lot of these things might just change naturally because we're going to stop doing them for six months. And then we might look back and say, why were we ever doing those things in the first place? Like, People flying to conferences or business meetings when you could just do it remotely. Why do you need to do that ever? Yeah. And so th- that, those industries might die. Like they might fully die. Um, but then other things that are like enjoyable activities, you actually are going to have to start doing real cost benefit. Um, I don't think movie theaters will go away because I do think people still enjoy it. But will they do it at the same rates? Um, and I think what has to happen is the little cone of silence comes down on everyone, like from Get Smart, when you're in the movie theater. I mean, they've adapted all these movie theaters to those those reclining chairs. What's the difference about encasing you in plastic? I don't think it's that big of a leap. <laughs> what do you think? I think that sounds insane. Um, <laughs> kind of fun, though. But they might, they might make all um, theaters smaller. I mean, that's been kind of a move anyway. Like, they've gone to the recliners yeah. that have reduced seating, but they might make them even smaller. You know, make it so that you don't have a hundred people to limit because it's going to be also from a public health standpoint, there should be public health guidance on a lot of this stuff. Okay. We don't want gatherings of 50 or more people. So no movie theater can be more than 50 people. They have to be 49 yeah. people or whatever it is. Right. Um, and there, there just might be sacrifices like that. And in, in the situation where the coronavirus gets, you know, a, a seasonal aspect to it, there might never be, football stadiums full of people again like it might be that you have to have isolate like if people are going to go watch a game in person it's got to be isolated sections in a stadium not a hundred thousand people just kind of teaming around each other um well just let's just say they come up with a vaccine within a year and that's that's you know that's aggressive right there yeah um so fall of 2021 there's a vaccine uh, it's not a hundred percent foolproof, but you know, it's, it, it's done substantial damage to, to the spread of, of COVID-19. 
Does what's what's attendance like in college football? Is everyone going back? Is it still is it down thirty percent? Yeah, it, it it would really depend on the vaccine. Like if it's a vaccine that completely kills it, like it knocks that like you have a ninety nine point nine percent chance of not getting it now, then I think life yeah. goes back to normal. If yeah. it's not though, if it's like, I mean, if, if it's flu, if it's the same as flu. Yeah, where you don't know year over year whether it's going to be 10% effective or 30% effective. Yeah, that's going to change life. Yeah. Yeah. And I hate to end this on a really uh, kind of depressing note, but I I think we need to say something and honor the passing of Stan's Donuts. (laughs) It's It's been closed permanently in Westwood. No, is Did you it, ever go it, there, Dave? Uh, probably a couple of times. I was never a big Stan's guy. I'm not, I'm not a big donut guy. I'm not either, but that peanut butter pocket was like, yeah, that that was the thing for me. Yeah. I My dad took me there first time when I was like, must have been about 13. And I used to think about that peanut butter pocket. Because there was no donut like that. That was just insane. So... Yeah, he sent out a he sent out a I don't know if it was a tweet, something through social media that said, you know, the he was coming close to retiring. Uh, the business hadn't been doing for a while, uh, uh, doing well for a while, and the coronavirus pretty much just facilitated his permanent closing. So yeah, sorry guys, I know that's very depressing for everyone, but. <laughs> That's that's like that's like optimistic relative to what we were just talking about. But I know that's kind of that's why I kind of ended it that way. <laughs> and it's UCLA related. There you go. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you got anything else? No. Okay. No. I'm All thinking right. Diddy Reese will always have to stay open, right? Well, I mean, because we're pretty convinced it's a uh, drug front, right? That's the only way it's, they can. It's continue a money. To... It's a money laundering for the mafia. It's got to be something. There's got to be something going on there because there's always between 50 and 100 people working behind the counter and they charge like a buck and a half for, um, you know, two cookies. and some What are the cream. cookies up to? They're like 35 cents now? They were a quarter for a really long time. Yeah. Well, yeah. And the, the, the sandwich was super cheap for the longest time, too. That might actually even be more now. Um, let's see. Let's see if I can pull it up. Yeah, thirty-five cents per cookie. Uh, a dozen is still four bucks. Um, and yeah. the sandwich is. Come on. Yeah, okay, it's making me happy right now. I know it sounds really good. It, uh, it does. Again. They need to do. They need to do curb. Dude, the sandwich <laughs> is only a buck seventy-five. That's still such a great deal. I think I might. I think I might risk something for Diddy Reese. I think yeah. I might. Yeah. I think you should. I mean, if I'm completely covered in masks from head to toe, like, you know, body condom, I Look, think I would go. There's some choices. There's some choices that you just have to make, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No. Okay. So that's it. I'm done. All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, uh, Bruin Report Online, UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. Stay safe out there, everyone, and we'll talk to you next time. Stay safe and really value your families at this point. <laughs>